Miss Fletcher, you have quite a reputation as uh, an amateur detective. But uh, I'm really not a trained investigator. Uh, even my fictional heroes um, have to have some clue to go on. I mean, if a murder was committed, where is the body? edition of the back-to-back podcast of course that is called murder she wrote i'm your host david ford joining me as always our coach david thorpe coach it's chilly in florida finally i'm sitting here in a hoodie it's gonna be 75 degrees here in texas today i think this might be the first time since we started recording i'm gonna have better weather than you well it depends how you define better but yeah we're gonna be (laughs) i think my wife said sunny and 68 today Oh, that's pretty. still pretty nice. Pretty amazing. I mean, I'll be out. I mean, I won't wear a tank top walking. I will at the gym, but it'll be a t-shirt. Yesterday, yeah. I had two t-shirts on, so I can't uh, complain. Did you watch the Warriors last night? I did. Did yeah. you watch them the night before? We had 51 in the first? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I had I had a lot of games on, but, but I had both. I had them on both nights, yeah. This is uh, back-to-back. Like this, I think this is the best offensive performances they've had back-to-back all season. And it's really interesting, like the timing, because DeMarcus Cousins is coming back tomorrow night. Yeah. Do you feel like this is something they kind of have done on purpose? Like they're just getting fired up? No, you just think it's no, 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 no. What you said is different. Okay. Getting fired up is getting fired up. I don't think they, yeah, I think, I think this is just my best guess. Of course. Uh, It's, we used to always say I'm a Florida guy, right? So SEC boy my whole life. I don't care anymore, but I used to. And I used to, I, I was smart enough, even as a young coach, when I was still following the SEC in football, it's just hard to go through that schedule undefeated when every game is so tough, you know, uh, every road game is 90,000 fans and every team, except for maybe Vanderbilt has NFL player, a lot of NFL players, Vanny always has just a few because it's such an amazing academic school. They, they don't always get five-star players and, and four-star players, but you just, you can't be up every game. And then Every team pretty much has a big time rival. Florida's was Florida State. And for a while it was Miami. You just couldn't always be up. It's the same thing if you're Golden State on steroids. Because every team wants to beat them more than anything. You're you're always getting everyone's best shot, or typically anyway. And so I think when they played Denver, knowing that Denver was ahead of them in the in the in the rankings and all of that and in the record in the standings, yeah, I think it perked them up a little bit. I thought last night there was a bit of a hangover from the previous night. There was a time to where, start the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the third quarter Pelicans, I think we're up 14, 15. Yeah. Uh, maybe even more 17 at one point, maybe, but yeah, the, the, this is who they are. I, I, I've said this, this is the first time I picked them over the field in all, in all the years. Yeah. I mean, St- Steph Curry happened last night yeah. and I mean, listen, there's no reason why he shouldn't shoot 23s a game. Right. I mean, aside from, making sure everyone else touches the ball. Well, that's, so that's the challenge is what's the right number where everyone else still feels part of it. There is a number where you're going to get a, a, a diminishing return because of how your team is doing, not you. Um, not to mention the energy required because you still got to play defense, but, but he should, I mean, I, I've been saying for a long time, it should be taking 15 a game. 
Yeah, and he's, and he's Tom the, Habershow. And from, from death. From yeah, deep. Tom Habershow actually pointed out that uh, three numbers, 11 through 15, he shoots a higher percentage than one through 10. Oh, so, I, I didn't know that, but Tom, we talked about this on Nerd She Wrote with Tom, where yeah. I think we were talking about Kemba. And he, Kemba had been really improved as a shooter. I said he's not shooting enough. They should. I think I even said he should be taking like 15 a game. Curry's the best of all time. And uh, uh, so, yeah, when you say Steph Curry, I've been right. I mean, he's he's just that kind of force um, in a different way than Harden because it, it doesn't. It's easier, I think, for Curry. Although I yeah. think Harden's you know on a run that like we'll never forget. This is crazy what he's doing, and I do kind of wonder if he can keep it up. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's clearly a lot of work for him, right? Like, oh, I mean, man. but to go 57 and 58 and back to back games, I mean, it's, it, you hate to see him do what he's doing and lose a game like he did to Brooklyn. Oh, he, he ate the two. You saw that video of him in the, in the uh, tunnel going back to the locker room after the yeah. last night. Yeah. He, he was like, oh man. And then losing Capella. I mean, it just, it just really stinks. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the Warriors, uh, it feels inevitable. And whether De, uh, DeMarcus Cousins contributes or not, the only thing that's going to stop him from winning the title is an injury. Nobody nobody can touch him. I just don't see it. I don't think so either. I think DeMarcus gives them a, a, an incredibly ver- – I've said this many times – a really versatile piece of the puzzle. Uh, if he's even 85% by April of what he has been in, in his prime, he looks great physically. Great, I think he used to be really heavy. I don't think he looks heavy. Looks as slim as I've seen him in the yeah. league. Yeah, which has been he looks fantastic. And, yeah, and uh, my guess is he'll kind of play his role uh, better than what he did anywhere except for maybe in New Orleans. He was pretty good at it, where he's not the man, and he he's a defensive force. Uh, if they match up with OKC, he's the only guy. Oops, excuse me. That can play with Stephen Adams. Um, and not get bullied around by that monster. Yeah, I think he gives them a pretty – I think, like I said, I picked them over the field for the first time. Well, uh, we haven't done a mailbag in a while. I think it was like Thanksgiving was the last one. So uh, I thought today would be a good chance to do it. it it's uh, – you know, we've all got the live show hangover, uh, at least well, the, don't ones say we. Us, well, the ones who were there. We all have the live show hangover. Uh, that's what happens when you all hang out in LA for like four or five days and you forget what day it is and, and whatnot. And, uh, but it's also, you know, we're just past the halfway mark of the season. We've got the all-star game coming up in a month, trade deadline coming up in like three weeks. Good chance to kind of, you know, take the pulse of, of, of people that listen to the show, answer some of their questions. I'm going to start with, uh, from the Patreon and, and actually watching on the YouTube live stream, uh, iPod Shun asks, uh, Blake Griffin has made himself into a good three point shooter. He, he's shooting 6.6 attempts, uh, and he's hitting 36%, which is great, especially for him because he was yeah. bad, you right. know, when he first came in. Now, he's still got some of the mechanical flaws. He's still shooting on the way down a lot. His yeah. shot winds up flat, but the results are there now. At what point in your training, coach, and, and you bring up Kevin Martin a lot when, when this comes up. At what point do you just say, you know what? The mechanics are the mechanics. We got to get you to make shots, period. That's it. Like we, we can, you know, we can fix what we can fix, but at a certain point you got to give up and just hope we're going to make shots. At, at what point do you just say, this is just good enough? It depends on the skill you're working at, but for Blake, 
I, I would not stop trying to get him to shoot the ball on the way up. Uh, and the mo, I, I don't know when I'm training shooters, uh, like there's nothing I won't try until something clicks. And so I'm not married to any one thing, but one thing I had real, I've had a lot of guys who shoot like him, uh, who, who shot like him anyway, where they're just not releasing it early enough. And so, uh, besides saying all the right things and showing video, I started clapping. So when they're supposed to shoot it, they're supposed to shoot it on my clap and it helped them trigger that to let it go that, that, that millisecond or two milliseconds or three milliseconds earlier. I would do that with him. And the other thing to do is increase his range right from the middle to on the bank it in, uh, from the middle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you have to put arc on it then and you have to shoot with more strength and it forces you to shoot on your way up to get that strength because when you're shooting at the very top of your jumper, the way down, you lose all the leg drive part of the shot. It's, it's eliminated once you exactly. reach your apex. Right. So I, I, I would not quit with Blake on trying to get him to release it uh, an eye blink or two quicker. And I think you shoot it better. Yeah. And for the folks that don't know uh, about shooting mechanics, Shooting on the way down, that's when you see guys use their arms a lot, and that creates that flatter trajectory. And, and it, it, it watch, can, it can create. It's it, very hard to counteract. Especially from way out there, right? That's a long shot. And this is where Steph Curry is so fantastic. Not only does he he shoot on the way up, but he also has that super high release angle, which gives him a high uh, entry angle for the basket, which actually makes the hoop bigger. Correct. And I know that, like. It's hard to visualize, and and it sounds easy when I describe it. But then when you get guys in the gym and you try, you know, who are flat shooters, you try to describe this concept. It normally takes like three or four days for them to figure it out. Oh, we gotta, I gotta get the ball up on the way up, because you know, growing up, I mean, you know, I'm 37, so growing up, it was release at the at the peak of your jump, which I could never figure out how to do. I was always on the way up, just naturally. I was lucky. Um, not to follow the bad advice in the paint though. I, I like it both ways. In fact, I'm, I'm just, my son shoots it on the top of his jump in the paint. He doesn't shoot it enough, unfortunately, but he has a high, he, but we've added the quick release jumper, which he's not done in games maybe once. Um, but we, I want to have both, but our King was a great on the way up shooter. Um, I, I think if you're going against a smaller guy to jump up over him and knock it in is great, but against the longer, taller, quicker guy, whatever you got to shoot it quicker. And so you shoot on the way up is better. But from three, you pretty much should always shoot on your way up. Here, let me let me ask you a question that's a follow-up. Uh, okay. When you teach floaters, do you do one foot or two foot? Both. Perfect. I do, I do it both. And really, we, we, with floaters, we really work on, with both hands too, uh, the very last movement you're making as you shoot it is to try to make sure the angle is going directly to the dead center of the rim because the laws of physics state that the ball is moving the same direction as your body. And on a floater, you tend not to want to direct the ball. You mostly just want to guide it in the same direction you're going. So if you're floating right or left, the balls can also float right or left, which means you don't have to change the direction the, the ball is, is, is moving towards with your hand. It's a much harder shot. So if you can really get the angle right to the middle of the rim, then, you just, then it's already on the path. Now you just got to guide it. It's almost like curling. You got you to yeah. get that right motion, just let it go. Uh, it's the yeah, body English. Right leg, we do a right leg, left leg, two feet with both right hand and left hand. Do you, uh, when, when you're coaching, do you find yourself leaning, trying to get shots to fall for your, for your players? I'm terrible uh, about it. 
I don't know. I really don't shot know. Shot goes up. I'm like, I'm all in on every single shot that goes well, I'm up. I'm all in, but I don't know. I'm if terrible. I, I, actually, it's a great question. Yeah. I've a lot of shots. I don't know what I do, but I'm surprised. I certainly root for him to go in. I know that. I have worn my Apple Watch to track how much movement I, I make yeah. coaching a game. And one game, I, it was four miles. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I just, yeah, I can't help myself. I, I um, walk a path. Uh, for also from the, from the discord, which you can get access to if you're, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, from DS underscore Berland. Uh, if you follow a bad team, excuse me, if you follow a bad team, what can you watch for in an individual game that might make losing more or less fun or, or less miserable, I guess, to watch, uh, I'll start here. Yeah. Um, I think the young players, right. You want some hope. Uh, is your coaching staff developing these guys? Do you see glimmers of, of what's to come? For instance, like watching the nets last year when they weren't good and now you get to see, you know, okay, they're better or the nuggets. If you look at the nuggets, the last few seasons, they've gotten better every single year that Mike Malone has been there. And I think that for the guys I know, like Adam Mares and, and the other guys that cover the nuggets, that's actually been one of the most fulfilling parts of this is they didn't go from, you know, sorry to an overnight success that they actually did it gradually. They, they probably feel like they earned it a little bit more, you know, than some of these teams that have been overnight successes, like, you know, the 76ers or whatever. But I I think that that's what I look at. Are they fun to watch? And, and and do you see development out of their young players? Cause you can be bad and still fun. Well, yeah, I mean, I would, I would have talked about, you can look at the individual player. And then I also always look at effort. Uh, just how competitive, how physically competitive and intense is the team. You should find some joy in that. Even if they're losing, if their spirit isn't broken. Uh, I, I watch Memphis a lot. They, they just don't have much spirit. And so it's hard to watch them. They were playing great against Milwaukee. Terrible start for the third quarter and then just got blown out. And that happens a lot to them. So, And that's why I think their coach should be fired. That's the first job of a coach is to get his guys to compete at a high level no matter what. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now we're going to go to Twitter, uh, from Tyler Kenny. How much do you expect the West to shake up before the end of the season? I mean, from where, from the perspective of what it matters, not, I mean, other than Golden State will go from two to one. I, uh, I think it's a, a really ugly West because of, uh, the Golden State's just so much better than everyone. I mean, if Capella stays healthy, I still think that they're way under, you know, the underdogs compared to Golden State. OKC's got some intrigue to it, but not much in my opinion. Um, I think it'll be a really fun conference to watch from two down. Like who's going to ultimately be, I think the Denver's going to put in the top seed. I mean, I'm sorry. I think Golden State's going to win the top seed. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the second seed. I think it's a free for all and that'll be fun to see who loses to, to uh, golden state, probably in four or five games in the Western conference finals. Yeah. As many people like to point out, it gets late early in the West and I'm looking at the standings right now and I'm seeing that the jazz are in the playoffs. If it started today, they're the eighth seed. I expect them to get better. They actually have the easiest schedule in the league for the rest of the season because they had the hardest schedule in the league yeah. for the first half. So Stan gunny has been talking about that. He's right. Yeah. And the Clippers are, are trending down. Yeah. Um, the Lakers could miss the playoffs, man. If, if LeBron isn't back for like another couple weeks, that could, that could be enough to get them out of the playoffs. It, it, it's that tight. Oh yeah. No question. Yeah. Five through nine. Now. 
<laughs> right, exactly. They're out today. Uh, you know, but you get the Kings, you get the Timberwolves that are right there. I don't think the Pelicans have a run in them. I don't think the Mavericks have a run in them. And I think the Grizzlies are probably going to wind up trying to sell, yeah. um, the team maybe even right. right. Like it's that bad. Yeah. I feel bad. I, I know a lot of Grizzlies fans and it's just such a hopeless situation because your two best players can't stay healthy. And then they hired that coach, right? Like they're, they're broken from the top down. I'm, I'm, I'm hate, I hate it. I have, I have a friend that works in the front office there. And, uh, I know I have a multiple friends actually there. Uh, it's an amazing city really is a, a great American city in many ways, many ways. And, um, I don't think anyone cares at the top. I, the, 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 the owner and the guys that run the team, uh, like, I just can't believe John Hollinger is being asked for a lot because he's smarter than what they're doing. And, uh, they should, yeah, they should trade Mark and they should trade Mark and Mike. Yeah. And because they, and build around Jalen Jackson Jr. Yep. And so, so in a sense, I'd keep JB cause they'll lose trade right. Mark and Mike keep losing and uh, add another big piece to that. Stud and they, they'll be fine in the three years. Yeah. The tricky part about trading Gasol is that he's got a $25 million player option. Yeah. Now he's going to want to opt out of that. Yeah, but he's going to want to know that he's going to get a three-year, right. seventy million. Right, you could out. you could figure out who wants him. I don't know who yep. the answer is, but you could figure out who wants him and and just get something because it isn't walking for nothing. Right, same, same as Conley. Um, let's see. Uh, from Caleb Landmister on Twitter, is there a player currently struggling that you think would greatly improve their production if they got traded to a new team? So, a guy who just needs a change of scenery. I mean, pick a play, pick any player that's on a bad right. team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, yeah. To me, so I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this before, but it's a great way for me anyway, to look at the NBA. And I got it from uh, Harvey Penix, one of Harvey Penick's golf books. He told this great story about one day he was playing golf in the, in the mountains, the Rocky mountains with, I think if I remember correctly, some really legendary golfers in like the thirties or whatever. And our forties and they sucked. Like these are, he's a great teacher. He was playing with great pros. They couldn't make a putt. They just could not make a putt. They could not read the putt. Uh, and these were expert readers and putters. And when they got done, they, they drove down the mountain as they're driving away, they looked up and could see their golf course on the side of the mountain. And they realized what their problem was. They were trying to read a putt as if, they were playing on flat surfaces, generally speaking. So generally speaking, the sun sets in the wet. Obviously, the sun sets in the west. So on many greens, the, the grass as the day goes on, the, the putts start moving more to the west. And they and putts always kind of would drain towards water because of the way the golf courses are built. And so none of that was working. And they realized, well, because we were playing, the whole thing was playing the side of a mountain. So you have to factor in the big picture first. So that's just always what I think about when I look at players on teams. How are they doing uh, on the side of that mountain? So teams that are stuck on uh, players that are stuck on bad teams, bad cultures, bad franchises, pick your, pick your, your, your winner. They're just not going to be as good almost ever. So even Anthony Davis, who's astoundingly amazing would be better somewhere else. Yeah. The franchise sucks. So that's, I so pick and pick anyone. You, you'd find someone better if they go somewhere else. How about Andrew Wiggins? I mean, he, to me, that's an easy one. If you put him in, like if you send him to the nets, is there any chance he's not a better player 
a year from now. Yeah, no. I love the Nets too. Look at what they've done. You know, yeah. like that hiring of Kenny Atkinson gets overlooked, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know it's funny for for people to be like, well, smart person Twitter, like kind of uh, you know, really kisses Mark Sean Marks's ass because every time he picks up some guy, you know, off the trash heap and they turn him into a good player, you know. But the truth is, man, they've been really smart about how they're doing it. They've invested in player development, something the Lakers haven't done, and we're seeing it. We've seen it play out with the guys that they sent away, where they get impatient because they're not, you know, just getting better on yeah, their the own. Yeah, the other night, the other night, D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle combined for like sixty-one points. Yeah, I know. Imagine those two guys playing next to LeBron. Right, would be pretty good. Yeah I, yeah, I said the other day, when it comes to the Lakers, my favorite team growing up, um, the emperor has no clothes. I don't know who the emperor is on that team, but they, they got nothing there. It's just a sexy franchise, L.A. and all of that, but it's, gar- it's a garbage franchise right now unless they do something a lot different. And those players, all of those players would look better somewhere else, in my opinion. Yeah, every single one of them. And, and honestly, like, this is Luke Walton's fault as much as it is the front office's fault. Um, What he's doing offensively there is about as uncreative as you can get. I think he needs an offensive coordinator. His defensive stuff has been good. I mean, he has those guys defending. He had them defending last year, but he needs this. This goes back to what you and I talked about on the last show where we feel like GM and coach is a job. Like the GM is a job for two people and the coach is a job for two people. Why not get an offensive expert? to come in there and run and coach the offense. And that's right. his job. And cause Luke is doing a good job with the defense. I worry he's going to lose the players and it's only going to get worse. I, I think he's, he's going to get fired. I mean, like, let's just not beat around the bush. He's on his way out. He was on his way out the day LeBron signed, you know, this is not like some kind of secret. This is how it works. Right. Um, but he's not living up to, you know, to his end of the bargain, right? You can't say, well, he doesn't necessarily deserve to be fired. I mean, these guys aren't getting better and it's on his watch. And and it's not like Rob Palenka or Magic Johnson are going to fire themselves. <laughs> no. Um, all right. This is from uh, Tim Meadows at Brindle Boxers on Twitter. Uh, this is actually a pretty good analogy. Uh, it's his first year coaching at a new school and halfway through the season, he realized they've been teaching their middle school boys algebra, but they didn't know how to multiply. How would you have handled this? So as players... Uh, he was going a little bit too advanced, realized they didn't have the basics. That's an easy one. I mean, there's, there's two ways to look at it. The, the, the obvious and easiest answer is, well, you gotta, you gotta go backwards a little bit. I mean, I've, I've literally been part of programs that started from scratch with 14 underclassmen on varsity, 14 freshmen and sophomores on varsity out of 15, where we had to teach them how to jump stop and how to pivot things that you shouldn't be having to teach high school kids. If a JV program knows what they're doing. Um, but I will say this, I am not one that likes to water stuff down. Uh, I, I, I always want to be teaching way over my players' heads and, and challenge myself to be a great fucking teacher and teach them things that no one, including them could even imagine they could learn. I just have to be patient about it and make sure I still continue to do the basics along the way. But yeah, I'd rather... I'd rather teach way over their heads and just teach the hell out of it than make it basic and boring only. You can, you can marry the two, which is what you probably should do. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I just did this a few years ago and, and this is what I did. I mean, I, I, 
not only did we work on basics, which I think you should be working on basics at every level as a coach. This is why I do station work and practice at least four days a week because it, you can never get too good at making layups and, you know, working with both hands and all that stuff. But also I want advanced concepts because I want to watch you screw up, you know, a bunch because you find, sometimes you find out who a player is by how they deal with their, their screw ups, you know, like how, like how do they deal with mistakes? How do they deal with throwing a good pass and having their teammate mess up? You know, that's one of my favorite things. I can tell you a lot about a guy by how he reacts when it, when a dude drops a perfect pass, my favorite guys are the Steve Nash's. It's always his fault. Even when it's definitely not, those are my guys. So, uh, you know, I think that you can learn a lot, but also you can, when you do something that's very complicated and, and you've messed it up five, six, seven, eight times in a row, and then you nail it. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And it goes a long way because once they get it once, they know they can do it again. So, I think, yeah, I'm with you. You always work on the basics, but, uh, yeah, yeah don't you never, anything you never do enough of that. But you, to me, the game is supposed to be, I mean, I wrote a book called basketball is jazz for a reason. It's supposed to be fun and peppy and fast, um, smart. Uh, you, you'll get much more buy-in from your players. I mean, the, the, the challenge for all of us is coach when we coach young players. And I mean, young as in middle school or even below when I was a little league baseball coach, my son was five and six and seven. Uh, my daughter actually played when she was five. I felt like I did my job of all my five-year-olds come back and play in the spring. Then they come back when they're six. And then they come back in the spring when they're six, turning seven. My daughter didn't last more than a season. My son played 11 seasons of baseball, uh, spring and fall. Uh, so I felt like I did my job for him and a lot of his teammates. And I'm really happy to say some of them who are now 17-year-old juniors in high school, signing scholarships or commitments now to big schools, they love to play. I help them fall in love with the game. And it's the same thing with basketball. I want, I want them to fall in love with it. It's hard to fall in love if all you're doing is jump stops and yelling at it for double dribbling or whatever. Right. You got to keep it fun. At every level, you got to keep it fun. Yep. And want, want them excited to come back and hate not to leave the gym every day. That's, that's your goal. Yeah, that's why I like, I like playing games like Knockout. And I like we're all going to have, you know, we're going to have a half-court shooting contest during the water break. I, I like to do all that kind of stuff. Um, Lazarus Jackson at last chance on Twitter. What's up with teams throwing in more zone looks lately? Have you noticed that too? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I've, I've seen it lately. I I've always seen it. Um, and I, I, my guess is they just don't know what else to do. Uh, and I think it's super smart to throw the rhythm off. I like, uh, you know, Daryl Morey said this last year that everyone thought, and including me for a while, cause I didn't watch every one of their games that they were just switching all year in prep for the postseason. They weren't. He said they switched about half of the possessions defensively going into the postseason last year. Then they flipped it to full time in the, in the, in the postseason, which I'm not sure that was the, the best move either. Obviously, obviously, they still did really well. Um, I like changing things up. Even if you're staying man, change up how you're defending ball screens. I once heard Mike Fratello give a speech on the eight ways to defend a pick and roll. And he never once talked about jump switching. He talked about switching, not jump switching. So that's nine. There, there's more probably. Sure. Uh, I like making sure you can do three or four of them. And if you want to mix in zone, do that too. Throw the, uh, the other team off rhythm, I think is smart. Yeah. Um, also, I think that with, the, with more bad shooters shooting threes, you're more willing to surrender that. No Whereas question. letting them get into the paint 
you know, not to mention you're going to get, you're going to get those, those longer rebounds off the threes because you're in a better position to rebound. Um, I I think this is, hopefully it's a blip because hopefully teams realize, oh no, we need to actually attack the zone instead of just shooting over it. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've watched, uh, did you watch bowl bowl at all before he got hurt? I did not know he got hurt, but I watched him in high school. I don't, I I haven't watched any. I watched he Duke broke his foot. Once. Or did, hmm? did something to us. Did something to his foot. I saw him uh, play in high school like on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, he was good. So, so Oregon played Syracuse and Bowl destroyed them just with high post entry pass. Like yeah, wow. they would get him the ball at the elbow, and he just could How wreck shop. Seven three, seven two. He's really tall. He's got hips wow. up to his neck. This is the issue, though. Oh. So I, I saw him at hoop summit. He's got. I mean, his hips are really, really high, and I worry about him. I mean, this foot injury isn't necessarily shocking to me. I worry about him being able to stay healthy. Now we'll, you know, we'll see. He's he's shut down for the rest of the year. He'll go in the draft, and somebody will take him in the top seven, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but I worry about injuries with that body profile. But well, you never know, especially when you start adding weight. Right, I, I think for sure he's really fit, skinny, right? Yeah. Yeah. The fitness is going to be huge for him. You know, can he, can he be in, you know, tip top shape from day one? He's so over seven feet tall. Yeah. He's like seven, two or seven, he's three like a guard, isn't he? Like a small he, forward. He can handle the ball enough. Uh, his handle kind of reminds me of KG actually, which isn't bad. Right. Well, listen, he, KD wasn't a great ball handler. Right. Neither was James Harden. Right. When they were coming out of college even. Yeah. But yeah, he can shoot. Dude, I hope, I hope he gets healthy. Yeah. Um, I thought he was really special when I saw him on tape. Uh, let's see. Uh, we got a, from Alex Burr, Alex Burr four on Twitter. Alex Burr, Alex Burr. Yes. Uh, why is Serge Ibaka so money for mid range, but he can't hit a shot from anywhere else on the court. I have no idea what his, I have no idea what his practice sessions are. Uh, yeah, I have no idea, but people were really, you know, if he was a stock, there was a time where he, he, people were buying it. They're not buying it now. He started the season. He was just incredible for like the first 25 games. And he's dropped off. Um, I worry maybe he's playing too much. He might need to start, you know, resting a little bit. Right. Uh, I worry about this with a lot of guys, though. I, I think that especially. Kawhi got tired last night. I watched, yeah. watched on tape this morning. I saw it live and I watched this morning. Uh, he had a really spectacular and one with about four to play. And then he sucked after that. Just. Airball a three, took another bad three, just couldn't go by anyone. Uh, didn't even compete in a couple of possessions. I mean, he was just tapped out, gassed out. He had played forty something minutes uh, Sunday night, and yeah. just he, he played thirty six last night. He was just tired. Yeah, the, I mean, they, the Celtics. This is where their depth really shows, right? Now it it hopefully won't matter as much for other teams in the playoffs. Right. I say that you know meaning thinking from the other team's perspective, right, not right. hopefully the Celtics lose. Right. Yeah. I know I come across as a Celtics hater. I, never is, I don't that. care. Okay. I, I just think, you know, oh, Brad Stevens. Yeah. Well, cause I, the basic Brad thing, uh, of, because of why, well, cause I don't think Brad Stevens is this amazing, like, you know, Wunderkind coach. I, I just, you know, he's fine. Oh, you're wrong. No, no, no. Here's, here's my, here's where I am. I'm going to beat you on this chess match. All right. I, I never once though thought you were hated the Celtics. Never for all okay, the hours you talked. Good. I never once thought you had anything bad with the Celtics at good. all. Not, I never felt that way anyone with you. I, I call it a clogged toilet offense, right? Because they don't oh, get, oh, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't criticize their offense. Yeah. 
Well, that's I'm that's. It's, I I don't think it's all Brad, but go ahead, make your make well, your argument, and I'll then I'll and then I'll uh, give you uh, check checkmate. Okay, all right. <laughs> a lot of the issues is that they don't have shooting. Okay, so that's number one from the from the jump. They don't really have good shooters, and that hurts them quite a bit. This is why Marcus Morris having this great season has been very important for them. Yeah, he's been very. aside from Kyrie, he's been their most important offensive. No player. question. Okay, uh, but the offense doesn't generate looks at the basket They're I mean, they're last in, in free throw attempts per game because they don't get enough looks at the basket. Now there are certainly mitigating circumstances. Something's going on with Horford. I, he doesn't quite look right to me. Um, again, uh, you know, Kyrie is, is an offense unto himself. And I think it's untapped. That's a coaching issue. I think you could have Kyrie doing what James Harden's doing right now. And you would have a better offense than when everyone touches the ball. Now I get it. I understand the philosophy that everyone eats, everyone touches the ball, it keeps them engaged on the defensive end, and clearly they do stay engaged on the defensive end. But I which think it's a lot, which says a lot about his defense, about his coaching chops. Sure, it's it's, it's hard to play defense, right? Uh, if he you're keeps not them in, and he keeps them in. And I, again, I don't think he's a bad coach. Yeah, I don't think he's the best coach. And this is the the whole thing. He's not the best this. coach, there, right? There's only one best coach. That's right, Greg Popovich, no and question. that's without question. And, but there's a lot of people that are very quick to anoint the young white dude as this genius. And I think that's, he's got, no, he's got, you got to do a lot more than what he's done for for him to take pops crown. There you go. I would tell you the way they defend, no matter how they're playing offense, uh, managing egos, which is very hard to do, especially when you got some of the guys they have with the success they had in the postseason last year, Uh, his stuff off blobs and slobs, you know, baseline out of bounds, out of bounds is extraordinary. He runs flex no. on his out of bounds plays for for the most part. No, uh, I mean, right, but it's it's his it's his twists. And are, here's what I will, and I give him credit for this. Yeah, well, you chooses, should because he's the best well, guy that I've seen, and for especially for his age, I, not just me. I I had someone ask Tayshawn Prince mm-hmm. after he left. He was still playing. Yeah, he left Boston. I don't remember where he was. I want to say it was Minnesota, but I could be wrong. And whoever I was friendly with on the team, I said, ask, ask him what he thought of this, of Brad as a coach. And you would have thought Tayshawn was Brad's son. He was blown away with what he witnessed every day. And, and then I went back and said to the player, ask him what he thinks about the plays that he runs, not just for inbounds, but also for inbounds. Uh, and he did. And Tayshawn said, he's never seen it before in his career. Anyone better than him. He said, we, we would run stuff. And he had the exact perfect tweak at the exact right time. We got, and we and we always got what we needed to get. Didn't always go in, obviously. But he 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 said me and the other he didn't play at all. He's like we would just watch him X and O it. We wanted to see him do it because we're like, what does he come up with? And they're like, oh shit, that's sweet. There there's a talent for that. By the way, that's not the end all be all coaching. Right. Okay. But okay. but if you told me that they didn't defend great. And all we had was that. Oh, I wouldn't be so impressed. All right. So I want to push back just a little bit. Okay. Because like you said, the the calling plays part is is whatever. He's really good at calling the right play on a sideline or baseline and out of bounds for the personnel that's on the court. Fantastic at it. And I I give him this credit when I call him basic Brad. I don't think what he's running is is super special. Uh, You are right. He does add a little wrinkle here and there. But again, the best thing he does is he chooses the right play for the personnel. So he's great at that. His offense, though, is very much, and, and Anthony Mays calls him this uh, on the buds, 
he called him a mid-major coach, and I think it's a great way to describe him. He can maximize talent like Terry Rozier and you know uh, Marcus Morris, guys that are not stars. But when you give him Kyrie Irving, I don't think he knows what to do with them because clearly Kyrie Irving is not being used to his full potential. Because we see at the end of the game, you know, he has he's forced to take over. Why can't he do do that for you know more of the game? And that's not Kyrie. That's that's Kyrie playing by Brad's rules. Kyrie is fourth in the NBA in offensive RPM behind Harden, Curry, and Lillard. So imagine if they ran the offense through him. Okay, but you can't even begin to compare who he's playing with to who Harden's playing with. Like, you, yeah, he's got much way better players involved. around him. Absolutely, yeah. Right, so to do that and and suck the oxygen away from Tatum and Brown and those, uh, that would be a mistake. That, well, this is, goes back to our other issue with the Celtics is that they have yeah, too many too guys. Talent. Right, yeah. too many guys. Right. I actually think Hayward, I think Hayward's the, the, the guy that's going to get moved. Well, he's awful. He's been, he's not, he's not always awful, but he's, he's only good at home. He's only good in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. I, mean, I heard someone else say that the other day. I didn't notice it. Um, and, and maybe, maybe next year he'd be better. Yeah. But what I, what I would do with Boston, if I was, and I said this in the spring, you sit Gordon down and say, listen, we didn't know Jim was going to be this good. Tatum was going to be this good, or you'd be hurt. But, but here we are. So where do you want to play? Right. If you're saying you want to play here, no matter what, we're going to have to give you a reduced role. We'll keep you. We sign you. We love you. It's bad luck. Uh, but it's also good luck for us that our players are, our players are good. Um, if you say you want to go somewhere else, we'll try to accommodate you as best as possible. And that, that, that way, you're not being a jerk about the fact that you're getting rid of a guy you signed who could have gone back to Utah very easily. Right? And still could, I guess, theoretically. Although probably won't. Um, I, I don't think you're right, Dave, that he's – I think – so look at it this way. Let's look at the – let's think of a bell curve, okay? Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you that he is at the far, if you're looking at a bell curve in front of you, sure. the farthest to the right is the best. That's pop. I think he's in the top tier like that. Okay. So that, yeah, yeah. I'm not arguing with you on that because right. I think he's got to still grow. Right. Like there, there, I said this about Ty Lue, who I was never a fan of, but Ty Lue really grew as a coach. How he could did. he not? Right. All those games, all those adjustments in postseason. Yeah. And, and learn. And I mean, at some point you stop adjusting, you just, you just execute it better and you manage it better. Uh, and I think he became a much better coach. And of course, and now he doesn't have a job, although I like it. I was never a fan yeah. part of it because his agent, I thought was a despicable human being. I didn't know the guy, but Andy Miller was a terrible guy. And I was uh, being in all sorts of trouble. And I always thought, well, if a player picks that guy as an agent, what does that say about the player? But I was wrong to think that sure. they, they signed for Aiden for a lot of different reasons. Absolutely. Ty Lue, I, he really grew on me as a leader of men and a coach in Cleveland I, I, I'd love for a, a team to give him another chance. I'd like for a young team to get Ty Lue. That's what I was thinking. Like, I think he'd be great like at I it. I would, when Memphis keeps JB to lose as many games as possible, like as you build, like he'll be great for Jalen Jackson. Yeah. He'll be great for the other next top five pick they get or whatever. Uh, I, I think, I think he would be. And I like Dave Griffin a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with him. And uh, I think he likes Ty Lue a lot, which that, that's a big assessment for me. Yep. All right. I'm going to snag a question from the YouTube chat, which again, you can get access to when we do these live streams. If you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, Jeff Cornegie for franchises who frequently are making bad coaching hires, what sorts of traits 
would you look for in a new coach in today's NBA to turn that around? I think that's a perfect uh, follow up. I I, I'm lucky enough for, you know, I have had a chance to talk to a lot of executives over the years about this exact question. I've always said the same thing and I'd be happy to change it. If, if ever I felt differently, the first thing I look for with a coach is an agile mind. We have to assume already the work ethic is there. The ability to talk to people is there. Um, that's where Thibodeau probably gets a big strike against him. Uh, I, I think those are obvious ones, but I like the agile mind. The game is fast and fluid. And, uh, if you're playing chess with an expert, then you need to be an expert too. And just because you're a great teacher, which, which I'm all for at the high school and college level, that doesn't give you the agile mind. Like I think Dave Yeager does not have a very agile mind. He's a very solid coach. And I'm not, I mean, maybe, maybe he's good enough to win a championship. And by the way, I think he can get better as a coach. Cause I do, I do think guys continue to grow. And he has and, gotten better. No question. Yeah. And, and a lot of different ways. It's right. not just getting, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this as a, as a teaching point, Sam Mitchell, when he was, maybe I said this last week, he was an assistant in his last year right. in Minnesota. He was great, great assistant. And I really thought he was one of the worst coaches I'd ever seen in Toronto. And I thought, God, if he ends up taking over one day, I didn't think be, you know, this one flip was alive. I thought maybe he'll be much better. And then I watched his press conference in Minnesota and he went right back being to the asshole that he was the first time, having not been that way at all when he was in the media and he was an assistant coach. That's something I think Dave used to be an asshole. In fact, you still read about Dave sometime losing his job when clearly he's done a good job coaching. I think that's him not being able to manage up very well, but, but, but you, he's getting better at that. So you're allowed to grow with that. So agile mind to me is, is the most important thing and not, I mean, and not being uh, an idealist, dogmatic about your way. Pop ran the good to great offense pass and move and the ball's flying around and all blah, blah, blah. And then when Kawhi became unguardable, he ran an ISO based offense with him and LaMarcus and they were amazing. I love that about pop. He adjusted to his personnel. Look at what he did. I mean, when he first came into the league and he was playing Tim Duncan and David Robinson, I mean, no one has evolved like pop. And and this is why I think pop, not only is pop just very, a very good coach. I mean, the best coach ever at in game, everything game to game adjustments, all of that stuff. He also evolves and is not rigid. And I think that that's what I would look for if I was hiring as in particular a new coach. Like if I was looking at, at college and saying, what kind of guy do I want to get? And it, you look at a guy like Hoiberg and what he was doing at, at Iowa state before he got hired. And that's kind of the blueprint. Uh, I think he kind of got a raw deal there. Uh, just from the get go. Bad franchises can't be yeah. saved by good coaches. It's all, it's not just the coaches league. Right. You've got to give him help. And I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him maybe get another shot with a with a team that is committed to doing things, you know, right by him, not just making a big hire. Um, But I I look at that, right? Like Billy Donovan, actually, I I didn't think was a great hire. Now he's actually doing the best coaching job of his NBA career this season. He is he's working around a lot of issues, in particular Russell Westbrook, kind of taking a, you know, a step back, like looking like he might be declining and look at um, Paul and look at Paul George MVP ascending. Uh, I'll tell you this about Billy. Uh, when he was at Florida, I used to go to practice sometimes and, uh, NBA guys were in that gym. Uh, not just to watch his players. He had the best spacing in college basketball for a long time. Now he probably would tell you, you have to understand how old I am, Dave. 
when when Rick Pitino was at Kentucky, okay, I went to like his first summer camp where guys like John Pelfrey were unheard of players on the team. And Feldhaus, I knew all those guys. I didn't know them, but I, they were there working at the camp. They, Kentucky was recruiting a player of mine from high school. And I used to talk to Tubby Smith and Herb Sendek, who were on that staff, with, and Ralph Wilbert, I just left, with Rick, and their grad assistant who sent me, I wish I could find it. It might be in my house somewhere now. Uh, he sent me, I was, I was doing my player development stuff with my own high school players in like 91 or whatever. And uh, he sent me a videotape of Rick Pitino but a private tape, not a published one that he had sold of uh, their ball handling drills that he used to do. And so we used to do something we called the Kentucky line drill that I got directly from the tape that Patino used to do. Billy Donovan was a grad assistant. So that's how long I've known him. His offensive stuff in college in terms of spacing was literally the best in college basketball. A big reason why he won back-to-back championships, not just having talent. Uh, he had amazing spacing. In the NBA, spacing is enormously important. Uh, and so I think he's always had a really good mind for that. And well, players it, like playing for him. Right. No, all right. So let me, let me just, this is a good follow-up. Uh, Tukey Duke, I think is how you pronounce this, uh, on Twitter. Um, ask if, if we think that Russell Westbrook might be starting his physical decline and that's part of why, you know, the shooting is, is dropping off. Um, and I will say just to follow up on the Billy Donovan point, part of the reason why he hasn't looked great is because of Russ. Yeah. Oh, no simple. doubt. Like Russ is not, I don't know how coachable Russ is. I mean, and it's not to say that he's a, a dick. I mean, that's not what I'm saying at no, all. Cause he clearly just, he's, he's very not obstinate. He's going to do it his way. Yeah. And, and he's not going to be involved yeah. without the ball in his hands. And so that's difficult. And this year though, you're getting a different Russ and maybe this is a, you know, a sign that, that he does feel like he's starting to decline. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's so tough to, to, to tell. Cause yeah, how do I, don't I even know, know if he's healthy knowing that the uh, injury stuff? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if I don't healthy. know any of that. Um, normally though, when a player starts declining, you, you just see less moments of sheer dominance athletically, but you still see some moment that that's their decline. It's not, they don't go from dunking everything to never dunking anything. They just do it less. Right. And, and, and you see it less. You still have your moments of it. We're like, that's why even, I mean, Kobe's last game, what he scored 62, whatever I watched it, whatever it was, they still can do those moments. Like an old person, you know, my dad is going to be seven, eight in April. There are days where he feels really good. Just not many of them less than there were five years ago. We had more good days where he felt better, but you still feel really good some days. And then some days you really feel your age. Um, and so Westbrook's Westbrook's dropped precipitously which makes me think that there's something underlying there that once, once resolved, he might get back a little bit, but he, he's the best athlete for his position in the history of the game as I've seen it. And so you can't stay there forever. That's for sure. Right. Well, I, and remember he had the knee uh, procedure right before the season yeah. started. So there also can be some conditioning issues that right. are playing into it. The free throws are the weird part that like, most guys don't start a physical decline and stop being able to hit free throws. No, you know, it have nothing to do with it. Right. So I, I wonder if there is actually a health issue that yeah. he's playing through. Right. And, you know, I mean, again, issue. you know, knee injuries can lead to hip problems, can lead to back problems, which, you know, ask me how my free throws look right now while my back is killing me. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to, again, Russ is also one of the most entertaining players of all time. And while stylistically, 
He clashes with my idea of what basketball should be. I still love to fucking watch that guy play basketball yeah. because it, I mean, offensively, it is all out 100% effort every single time he's on the court. I would love to see the same thing on defense, <laughs> but so, so you know, so whatever else. they're number two in defense right now though. Todd yeah. Well, Indiana. Actually, this has been his best season defensively. Yeah. I think since probably his rookie year yeah. and it's starting to get a little bit worse. You know, so maybe he's actually getting healthy and he's decided to <laughs> we'll see his offense jump and his defense dip. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Dennis Smith trade rumors. Uh, Tom, 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 Tomer on Twitter asks what we think about the Dennis Smith trade rumors. Um, I've actually been pretty vocal about this in, in my um, distaste for them. I, I think that Dallas is making a mistake selling short. I do understand though, that if they had drafted Luca first, they wouldn't have drafted Dennis Smith. So I get it from a, from a fit perspective going forward, but I still think talent wins in this league. And Dennis Smith is going to, he's a very talented guy who's only going to get better. Um, what, what do you think about this? My, but, but not knowing anything, my only thought is um, they might not, they might know something we don't know about work ethic. I was going to say behind the scenes is, is that's, I'm assuming this is an attitude that, thing. That might be something because because you're right. I mean, they, no reason why those guys can't play together. No yeah. reason. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, like Dennis Smith is t- is a type of player that playing off the ball from Luca, yeah. he could wind up having a better career than yeah. with the ball in his hands. I mean, right. we're already seeing it. His shooting is better, and imagine being able to to catch and go. That guy. Right. I mean, you talk about Russell Westbrook being a freak. I mean, Dennis Smith is smaller than yeah. him, and. Whew, I mean, yeah. I was comparing him to Russell Westbrook athletically. Of course, there is no comparison uh, with anyone to Russ, but that's as close as I've seen. He's more uh, like a Derek Rose in Derek's prime. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the YouTube chat, Jeff Takamoto asks if we agree with Mark Cuban and his comments regard, uh, comparing Euro basketball academies to the AAU. Basically, uh, he said that in, in Europe, they learn how to play basketball. They learn skills. And in AAU, they learn, you know, how to, how to show themselves off. Um, do you, do you agree with that sentiment? I mean, I know a lot more about this than Mark Cuban does. Uh, I'm, I'm living it both as you know, the Academy aspect for obviously many years and I've dealt, I deal with a lot of ones in Europe and then with AAU for a long time, I was coaching AAU and and I coached AAU before my kids were born 17 years ago. I was coaching teams sometimes. Uh, you just can't paint it with that broader brush. There's, there's a whole bunch of terrible AAU coaches. Man, there's a whole bunch of terrible European basketball academies too. So the reality is you've got to do both. You've got to skill develop. Well, look in America. You can't argue we're having a problem developing the skills of our players. My goodness. Agreed. And then you got to teach them how to play basketball. You could argue we struggle with that some. But so do these academies sometimes. Uh, depending on you know what country, Spain has yep. their own issues. Europe, in general, every country, you know, France a little bit different than Germany. Um, I know this. I had a soccer guy tell me last year when I was in the UK that he thinks our system is better for the young person because we get them educated, and that helps if their career in sports doesn't take root. Right. Whereas a lot of these kids in soccer and basketball overseas are turning pro very early, not getting any kind of education. And by the way, I don't think you need to go to a major college to learn from a textbook or from a professor 
in your job. It's the process of learning. It's who you meet that you might one day start a business with or go to work for. That networking is a big part of the college experience. And, and, and I, I like the fact that in American colleges, we're on our own. Like, like yeah. when you say goodbye to mom and dad, I remember my very first day my, when I was 18 in 1983. I wasn't worried about it because I spent the previous summer at a, at a camp working, not as a, as a camper. And, and I was kind of on my own. And that was good. I, I, did, a ter- I did a terrible job in the job I had because I was on my own. But it was a good lesson. Um, and, uh, I had to be, I had to do everything myself. That's not the way it is when you turn pro in Europe, uh, and, and not going to college. You've got a coach watching out for you and management watching out for you and managers watching out for you and older teammates. And they kind of get caught a little bit and you don't really learn how to stand up for yourself. And I think, so I think in general, what our system here is better than what their system is, but we can certainly do a better job of finding better people to coach high school and AAU or even or, or force them to standards where they have to learn certain things. And then I think our kids would be better off, but we're still producing an enormous amount of talent. I, the thing. So uh, again, I also have experience here, um, yeah, right. you know, having, having coached in Europe and, and, you know, done player development for a club in Europe and, and all these things. Uh, I will say there is a lot of stuff that American basketball can take from Europe. One of which might be the licensing. Uh, the way that, that in Europe it works, you get a FIBA license to coach even youth basketball and they're starting to do this with USA basketball. Um, they're, they're running camps where you can go and you become certified as a USA basketball certified coach. I I love that idea. I don't want to see it monopolized uh, as another way for people to, you know, generate income because I, you know, I, I do think that in basketball, we've got enough ways to generate income. Like if we could just let people become coaches and maybe not charge any money. Uh, the logistics get tricky, but there's a lot of people that I think would love to be coaches, but aren't going to spend, you know, 500 bucks to become a coach. Well, they and, should. And, well, they right. Should, I, I, should. I'm with it, but also maybe there's a lot of people that couldn't afford 500 bucks to, right. to become a coach. Well, it would yeah, actually so be good be, youth coaches, right? There should be process in place. Sure. Right? I, if I, if I had to do it all over again, business wise, People say that I was the first real player development guy in America, or even the world, possibly, that actually made a living from it. If I if I could do it again, I'd go find a partner that had money. That was 29, 30 when I first did this. I was, I'm sure I was 28. Uh, they could have, and I actually had one just out to be kind of a con man. He didn't con me, luckily, but he's a con man. He's in jail now, I'm sure. But what I wanted to do, uh, I focused too much on helping players. What I should have done is is I knew my curriculum was working. I was sending players to big time colleges yeah. that were that some of them were clearly talented, six ten or whatever. Some of them weren't and still got to high levels of college. I should have done a, a pro training center certification program where people in their own community would pay X amount of dollars as a license to me in a sense, get certified. We would have continuing training with them, education, and then they could go to family and say, Hey, I'm I'm with this brand. I think it would have done really well yeah. Uh, because people, and you see this all the time now where uh, there's some really crazy drills that people are doing. Oh, I'm not yeah. one to criticize like most. Oh, I am. I, I'm just I, not. I'll criticize. To me, huh? I'll criticize. Yeah. I don't for this reason. Uh, I don't know what else. I don't watch the whole workout. I see, I may see a stupid drill, but if that drill gets people in the door so you can make money, the, the, the bottom line is you, you still better be able to produce. I would say that uh, um, either you can hit a curveball, you can't. 
either you can help a guy make shots or you can't. And, and I've literally been moved to tears sometimes. Uh, and even, even recently, I, I think I mentioned uh, my son had a 15 point quarter, fourth yeah. quarter. Like that moved me later when I, when I, you know, this is my own boy and I'm teaching him. Like he's got other coaches too, of course. And he's sucked the last two games in my opinion. So by no means is he ready for the NBA <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, I saw him make four straight threes in the first half of another game, the next game. Like that doesn't happen very much. So my, my system works. And if it's not working, that's on me. I don't blame the players. And so as long, so I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're making them juggle donuts. And if you can show that those players are getting better empirically, not just the assessment of, oh, they're getting better, but show them on tape where their numbers are getting better. It's something's working. Kids, I mean, it can't be better. And that's where I think we always have to focus on is, as, as teachers and coaches, we have to get our players better first and foremost. And if it's not working, try something else. And as a player, if that coach isn't working out, find someone new. But if that's coach, where the impetus should be. If your coach has you doing everything with a ball in your hands, go find a new coach. Because you spend <laughs> most of the time without the ball in your hands on a basketball court, unless you're Kyrie Irving. Um, also, those little square ball things that aren't balls. Yeah, I never I, I use those. Yeah. I don't use props. I don't even use two balls. My, I've had assistants that use two balls sometimes. I don't mind it. Yeah. I, I'm much more game realistic. But, yeah, we That's do fair. a lot of stuff. I, I, uh, we work on backdoor cuts, uh, you know, ceiling, posting, all that stuff. But, yeah, you got to get better with the ball, too. Yeah. If you're if you're if your coach keeps putting stuff on Instagram because it looks yeah. good on there, that's I wrote, yeah, I wrote a chapter in my book about that. I, I, people have criticized me for not really marketing. And I just felt like that would be the worst thing I could do is make make the player who's paying me to help them get better. Make them think that I'm using him as a marketing tool to get the next guy. That didn't it didn't work for me. Other people, it's working great. I couldn't do that. I had to focus yeah. on that kid. Um, and then uh, the other stuff that we could take from Europe is, you know, uh, different, different heights for goals. You know, you graduate different height, different size. We ball. used to have that here. I learned yeah. an eight foot basket when I was, when I was 12. Yeah. Cause then you don't develop terrible habits. Yeah. You know, we, we like Lonzo balls shooting form is clearly because he was trying to shoot threes on a 10 foot goal when he was like was 10 years old. Right. Or, you know, or when he was 15 and still super skinny. Right. And, you know, so there, there's a lot of common sense stuff that, that we can take from Europe. But what I will say is a guy who is a, I'm a very good ball handler and I got to Europe and I, I implemented ball handling drills that they didn't really have. And I mean, just simple stuff that we use all the time, cones, uh, being defended, going down court, switching sides, um, you know, using your body, things that they just don't do a lot of until you get, you know, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Um, and I had them doing that as early as like 10, you know? Um, and that was a difference because there it's a lot of, we're going to let the ball do the work, but sometimes, man, you, you need to be able to put the ball on the floor. And so, you know, that, that's some stuff that they could take from us. Maybe don't go as far as we've gone. Um, but definitely something, uh, let's see. I got one more question from, uh, the YouTube chat. iPod shut again. I'm going to give them one more. Uh, should Utah commit to Donovan Mitchell as the point guard? or keep him starting like with Rubio or, or go find another, I guess, more traditional point guard is what he's thinking. What do you think? I think I would have him as the lead ball handler. And I try to add another guy like Donovan Mitchell to, to the mix. Well, maybe a better three point shooter. Like Joe Harris would be really great. I love that. Guy. Yeah. Love Joe that Harris guy. would be good anywhere. I love him. Yeah. I loved him in college. Uh, Rubio. I mean, you know, he's serviceable. 
He's yeah. okay. But he just can't uh, shoot. He just can't shoot. And he's, yeah, it's, it's a product of, talk about product of European system. That Spanish system, I think, screwed him up. Um, I like, I call, I don't even like point guards anymore. I, I like primary ball handler. And Donovan should be the primary ball handler. Yeah, weaponized Donovan Mitchell is better for your offense than having him play off the ball, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And uh, But I think you, you've got to space the floor around him. Having a guy like Rubio who can't shoot just kills you. Um, in particular because they, you know, they still kind of want to play two bigs or, right. you know, or Jay Crowder and, you know, you, you got to have that other guard who can shoot. Plus he's playing off the ball on the wing. And so when, when Donovan hits, you know, when he draws the defense over and hits you with that pass, you want a guy that can either just take the catch and shoot or attack. So you can't just have, you know, like Kyle Korver go play next to Donovan Mitchell. You really need another dynamic guy. And this is, you know, what they hope Axum could be. If Axum could could hit shots on a consistent basis, he's so fast. His first step is so quick, right. and he's so long and athletic. I, you know, I think that's their hope, and that's why they signed him to that. I agree that contract, which you know could wind up being a great deal for yep. everybody. Yep. Um, let's let's do one more. Right, this is fun. Um, oh, my man, Rich Guns, another guy with a nice beard, uh, who I got to meet the, this past weekend. Is Jimmy Butler going to end up being an expensive rental for the Sixers? There's already reports that other teams are calling, kicking the tires on Jimmy to see if the Sixers are, are tired of him yet. Um, we heard the report that he got into an argument with Brett Brown. I'm sure that was a little bit overblown. Um, I will say when Jimmy is making a basketball point, he has traditionally been correct. Maybe the way of bringing up that point is not right, but he's been right in his, in his complaints. Um, what do you think? Is Jimmy Butler going to stay with the Sixers? I would guess. Yes. Um, I would guess that, uh, he, he does really fit a need without, with Ben being the non-shooter that he is to get another prolific score that can shoot. Not that he's a great shooter, but he's a good shooter. Yeah. Um, with that defensive intensity, he and Simmons should be amazing with Embiid on defense. Amazing. Um, give him time. Yeah. They played 20 games together, whatever. Give him, give him time. I think, uh, I think that's an intriguing team to watch down the stretch. Very, if there's going to be a third team in the East, uh, a fourth team, because Milwaukee probably just Giannis plus Budenholzer, they're a problem. I think, yeah, I think the Bucks are the best team in the East when it's all said and done. I don't know if they are today. Yeah, I don't think they are today, and I and I think in the postseason I'm worried about Giannis not being able to shoot. But I I just love the speed that they're playing. I love the way they're moving. Um, but to me, the Sixers, like I think it's the East is going to be fantastic. I think four teams can win the East because injuries do happen. Shit right. happens. Yeah, uh, I think the Sixers are going to come around pretty good, and the Pacers are are very good, really good. Miles Turner Nate, leads the league in blocks. Talk shots. about a, a coach getting better. Yes. Nate McMillan he sucked. Soft. He was terrible. So bad. And when they hired off. him, uh, when, when they came out and they said, you know, we want to pick up the pace and all this stuff. Well, Nate McMillan had coached some of the slowest teams in yeah. modern NBA history, and he was terrible. Now, he still – the offense could still be better, and they, I still think they're not shooting enough threes because they've got some bad shooters who should be, you know, replacing some long twos for threes. But, man, that team plays hard, man. Like, they defend well. I mean, his – that guy has gotten so much better. Should should be in yeah. any coach of the year conversation. Yes, but that's another example. And, and it's funny because we talk a lot about coaches that are bad. I don't think we talk enough about 
coaches that were bad yeah. and became better. He's and, definitely one of them. I, I, I thought he was awful. His yeah, nice job's awful. He's he's solid. At the very least, and that bell curve, he's he's on the right side of the middle. Right. Uh, with what he's done. And, and he was on the left side before. Just behind Brad Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up because um, we, we went long on this one. This was fun. Uh, final thoughts. What you got? Have you seen this uh, buzz over the Gillette ad? I've seen the buzz, but I haven't seen the ad. The ad came out. Uh, I was like, I choked dealing with the dog. Okay. As, as, I need to watch ad of a boy and a girl, but I thought about my son, I choked up and I don't typically choke up at commercials. In fact, I don't watch commercials. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it reminded me of my responsibilities as a dad and as a coach mentoring a lot of young people. Uh, if, if the, it's sad that we have many American men right now reacting as if Gillette declared war on men. It's just such a ridiculous reaction to, uh, a very simple request, which is be more mindful of, of the women in your life and women in general, uh, with what they have to go through, what they are going through. I'll, I'll just give you a one minute story. I, I was at uh, once a week. Normally we get around my, my fire pit in the front yard with some neighbors and friends and have a cocktail and hang out by the fire or whatever at uh, this time of year. Cause we don't get this a whole lot, it's, you know, cool night. So, uh, a couple weeks ago we were talking with uh, a buddy of mine who's Naval Academy graduate served in the Marines, hel- flew helicopters, actually for President Clinton, the Marines. He's a very conservative guy, though. And his wife is a former amazing college basketball player, college basketball coach. Uh, they're both uh, two of our best friends, my wife and I. And he and I were just talking with our wives who were telling us, like, all the things their moms had to teach them growing up that boys just never hear about. Like, we never are told Make sure you don't walk to your car by yourself at night. Make sure you don't park too far. Uh, it, it went on and on. With They went back and forth. The lessons that that they were taught that me and John were like, wait, man, we just went out and had a beer and we never thought about it. Not when we're five, when we're 15, 18, 25. Uh, it's just women are physically weaker by, you know, in, in some kind of common way compared to the average man. And, and they can train all they want, but men tend to be bigger, fatter, taller, whatever. And, and so what, why wouldn't we want to be more mindful of their plight, not just from a physical standpoint, from every standpoint, uh, the, it, of course, not every woman's perfect, nor is every man guilty of anything. And what the ad wasn't saying that. And so for anyone that's following this, that's seen that ad and isn't sure how to react, take it from a man who's about to turn 54 that has been happily married almost 20 and a half years now. And I've, I've trained two 17 year olds, boy and girl to be good people. Uh, there's nothing in that ad that should make you feel bad. It's it's sad that other people are feeling bad, and it's sad that how we treated women for centuries in the world. But every day is a chance to be better, and that's all the ad was suggesting. So it bothered me that so many people were so bent out of shape over something that to me was such an amazing message. Watch it when we're done, and you'll see what I mean. You know what's weird, and I again I haven't seen the ad, but I've seen the sentiment. Um, you know, I was raised in the South by mostly by women, but also like to open doors, uh, for women and actually anybody, but in particular women to, you know, if you see a woman carrying something heavy, go help them, um, things like that. So I don't get why anybody would be in an uproar over the idea that you should consider, you know, what, what women have to deal with on a daily basis. It's so weird. It's such a backward, I think this is, um, 
another example of people just wanting to be mad about something? Oh, I'm yeah. If you're yeah. looking for that, and I understand on a very feminist point of view, there there will be some very strong feminists who might who might not like someone opening the door for them. I, I, th- those are the extremes. My I'll, wife, I'll let them be mad. Fine. I'm just not going to do I, it. I, I was at a fine. wedding one time. I'll tell you this. Uh, I was at a wedding, and I, at the table with me was a, a young, handsome guy, younger than me anyway, and dressed in, impeccably. It's a very high high power wedding with a wealthy uh, wealthy couple. And um, a woman came to our table and I was just looking at her. I, you know, I was sitting down. She, she came to the table and sat down and I looked to my left and this guy had stood up for her. And I felt like a fool. And this is, this was, uh, the guy to my left was uh, Johnny Versace's grandson. And I thought, oh, I'm doing that for the rest of my life. Like when a woman arrives to or departs from my table, I am going to stand up for her. I'm not gonna, I don't care if anyone else does it. I haven't taught my son to do it. I'm always going to do it. And they might say, oh, don't worry about it. I'm still gonna worry about it. I'm gonna be polite. There's obviously times where you can't if I'm at a bench or something, and I realize that, but I always try to. And it's just my way of, it's just to me, it's it's being mindful of of a plight of a woman, but also of, of just having manners. Yeah. Like, like I'm not showing off or anything. There's nothing special about me doing it. It's just my own personal discipline and personal choice of I'm going to stand for him. And this was, God, they probably got married eight years ago. So I've been doing this for eight years now. Yeah. I don't even think about it. It's not, it's not even conscious anymore. Uh, I, and I have friends who know I'm going to do it and will apologize in advance, like David, I'm sorry, or Coach, I'm sorry. Some of them know me as Coach. I'm going to do it. And yeah. I don't care what other people say. That's what I'm doing. Well, manners in general are kind of, you know, out the window sometimes. It seems, and and in particular in this political climate where you have, uh, you know, people that we uh, have in the highest offices of government that have uh, <laughs> not for serious, long, I don't think. Yeah, serious lack of decorum and uh, and and just you know treat people like like shit basically. Right, keep it classy. Uh, so, Nothing wrong with keeping it classy. That's right. Correct um, to be decent. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna use my my little minute to uh to thank everybody again for coming out to the live show in la it was really awesome to put a lot of faces with names and and i mean coach i i drank i don't know probably what you drink in a year in like four days but it was so much fun um can't wait to see everybody again in boston in march and then chicago in may and you know we're assuming oakland uh, in June, yeah, June right. and then Vegas in July. I mean, it really was, you know, as Jade described it, it's, uh, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity and, and event. And man, it was so much fun. I, I got a lot of really good memories, had a lot of really good conversations with people that you just can't have online yeah. and that not just people that listen to the show, but also like, you know, hanging out with Jade and, and Zach and, and Waz and Trey and, and all those guys was, was awesome. Um, so thanks, everybody, again, for, for showing up. Thanks for listening to this program. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and, and also The Daily Ding and all the other podcasts on the Count the Dings Network, uh, House of Strauss, The Interceptable, and BOMM. Uh, for Coach Thorpe, for the super producer, Jade Hoy, I'm Dave DeFore, and we will be back next week with more Nerd or She Wrote. Music.